Hello, everyone. This is Danny Haifong. You are tuning into a special live stream here at the Left Lens. Uh, we have two very special guests today that I'm going to get to shortly. But before I do, now that you're here, please do like this stream. Make sure you're liking the stream and boosting the algorithm. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel. You hit that notifications bell so you know when we are live here at the left lens and then of course you can support this channel and help sustain it at patreon.com slash danny haifong today we are talking to Li jing jing uh, at cgtn and talk it out with Li jing jing on youtube and china daily's ian goodrum we're going to talk about china we're going to talk about these western media attacks in particular and i'm so happy to be joined by them so i'm just going to bring them in now Hello, oh, Ian is not here right now, so I'll just uh, bring in uh, Li Jing Jing. Hi, how are you? Hi, hi Danny, hi everyone. I'm Jing Jing, live Good. from Beijing. <laughs> live in the studio. Yeah, I, had to go, I, had to, I had to go turn off a vent that I thought might be making noise, so. No worries, no worries. Well, good to see both of you. So I, I want, so we're gonna have a broad conversation, but first I wanted to give uh, Li Jing Jing, you a chance to react. I'm going to pull something on the screen, actually. <laughs> you have been quite the celebrity in Western media of late. I think three different attacks in a matter of six months uh, on you and your content and your journalism. And I just wanted to get your reaction on them because I feel like what has happened is that these Western media outlets, these mainstream Western media outlets, they're not giving a fair chance even when they are reaching out to folks like you folks like me um to to respond so what are your reactions to these attacks and uh yeah what do you think about them well honestly first i was really surprised because uh i think at the last weekend's uh, webinar i actually said it um these attacks really focused on my youtube channel my personal youtube channel and uh, honestly, I don't have a large following on YouTube channel. Now only 20, 24,000 followers. In the space, in the universe of YouTube big bloggers, it's, it's not a big deal. But still, that made me into the headlines of Associated Press, the New York Times, and a list, uh, recently the, 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 the Daily Beast. So... Uh, I was really surprised. Really, my channel, such a small following, deserve you guys write that huge article about me. But then you put the AP article on here, right? Yeah. So yep. yeah. So See, I wanted to actually scroll to a particular part of this because, yeah, of course, here you have they're saying that China-based TikTok, Facebook influencers are pushing propaganda. But I want to actually uh, go to the part where they talk about you in particular. And there is a section here of a gentleman uh, who is an FBI, former FBI agent, Clint Watts. And he says that, ch chi meaning China, now, they have now, clearly. I, I just, we, we all know there's no such thing as a former FBI agent. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. So basically, the, the intelligence uh, apparatus is saying here that they have clearly, meaning China, identified the quote-unquote Chinese lady influencer is the way to go. So mm. anyway, continue, uh, uh, 
uh, Jingjing yeah. uh, with, with what you were saying. Yeah. So like I would say, I, I didn't have a, I don't have a large following, but why are they writing about my channel? Because there are a few topics really triggered them. First, I talk a lot about Xinjiang because I go to Xinjiang a lot. I'm a Chinese in China. I go to Xinjiang a lot. And I talk to religious figures, imams, and former trainees at the vocational training center and I visited Uyghur families. So yeah, that that triggered New York Times last year. But luck, it, it was quite funny because they wrote about my channel. They, they tried to accuse me of lying about something about China, but they didn't put my Xinjiang vlog into the article. They put all the vlogs that I did, like scuba diving, uh, or, uh, interviewing Vijay Prashad into the Art New York Times article. I was like, dude, why don't you just put the, the video of me interview going to a mosque, talking to a Uyghur <laughs> religious figure in your article? Because that if they put those videos in the article, their lives will fall apart, right? So that's that. And the AP wrote about me because I did some reports about the Ukraine situation, about the war in Europe, because that's a big news. Everybody was doing the same. And I invited several guests to talk about that too. Um, but the opinions from those guests are not something that they really enjoy seeing because you cannot talk about NATO, right? You cannot talk about NATO. Yeah what led to the war. If you are, then they are accused me. First, they accuse me as a Chinese propagandist. Then they accuse me as a Russian propagandist. And now look at this part, this uh, former, this FBI guy. He's a white guy, right? He's a <laughs> old white guy, right? Um, Sorry, I mean, Ian. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna bring it, I'm gonna bring it back up. No, I'm, fine. I'm, a, I'm a young white guy, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> so, relatively speaking, so. But will he describe me in the article as a like Chinese lady influencer? Not yeah. only there, I wonder how much in his mindset there's certain level of this honey trap in his mind. Uh, because there are some, I know there are some people, like YouTubers as well, when they, they their entire job is to read China bad stories, they always. Uh, depict Chinese women as something as seductive, as manipulative, as a honey trap. And uh, if Chinese women get close to you, be careful. They want to get information from you or someone. So I think when he write this Chinese lady influence, very sexist. So I think um, in some level, he's trying to depict me as something, well, be careful, this Chinese lady, it's a honey trap. It's a Chinese Chinese government's propaganda trying to push your uh, propaganda information, but because he's a good looking lady, uh, so you probably fall for his her lies. So I think that's the kind of mindset behind the terms and most of part of, of this article. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I don't know. I'll kick it. I'll kick it to you, Ian. I mean, I, the yeah spread of misogyny. Well, I mean, it, it's 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 a crazy. it's a longstanding it's a longstanding stereotype, right? The you know like the the quote unquote like dragon lady that we saw so much of in like nineteenth century uh, entertainment or, or early twentieth century entertainment. You know, like the it, it plays into that definitely. And I mean, it, it's it is it is 
obviously clearly very gendered um, in its its approach in, in its discussion of this. You know, it's not about and, and this this is something that that I think is is prevalent everywhere. Of course, women Chinese women get the worst of it, um, but it but it definitely hits out at people who who speak up and have dare to have opinions outside of the outside of the consensus it's a very it's a very hermetically sealed system right you know you you have to you have to toe the line it's interesting also that before uh the escalation in ukraine in february happened um there were some people that were talking about nato and and how it was kind of pushing europe to this to this moment um, and and cause and causing potential conflagration, um, but that's you can't do that now. You know, can't do not say it. Um, but but it, there's nothing wrong with providing context. There's nothing wrong, especially in a moment when there, that context is no longer being provided by any of the major uh, information sources. So I mean, it's not to 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 talk about NATO to talk about these these broader circumstances that led us to this point does not mean endorsement. Of of any given action or or a belief that that uh, you know war is is any war is is good or bad. It's not a value judgment on that particular aid is providing context, right? So yeah, I mean the particular uh, attacks on on Jingjing and and uh, the 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 invocation of this of this stereotype in in all but all but name. Um, it's an expression of you know this is this is the line you tow, and if you don't, then you know with then you're even if you have a small fo- smaller following, relatively speaking, you're still going to come under the under the lens of of this intense scrutiny and and these um, kind of bad faith, substance free attacks that kind of tar you by association and and don't engage. Uh, don't engage with with what you're saying or what you believe on the merits uh, or on their own terms, right? It, you can't acknowledge the legitimacy of the position because if you even do that, that baseline thing, then you are ceding ground to, you know, you you are you're breaking the seal, you're 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 cracking the the box, and I you you will probably bring this up, but but the notion of influencers being you know, let, let's say for let's say for instance that it's all correct and that there's a massive army of influencers being mobilized for X, Y, or Z issue. Well, not too long ago, a story broke about how the White House brought in what, like a couple dozen major TikTokers and TikTokers. briefed them on briefed them on the talking points for Ukraine and and then had them disperse uh, and distribute and, and amplify that information. Is that you know, is that acceptable? Is it acceptable because it follows that line? Or is it like, what, what, where are we drawing the line? You know, like, is it wrong to have influencers voice their actual opinions, which I mean, I'm sure you're doing and, and people are doing, people do genuinely have these opinions. It's not like, it's, it's not like expressing this is, is some fringe minority position. It's only considered a fringe position in a very small section of the world, whereas the rest you know, like China and India, the two most populous countries on the planet, are not are not going all in on this narrative, and they're instead taking a more measured response and a measured approach to the situation. Um, does that mean that they're you know like they're all paid propagandists, like the populations of these countries? No, of course not. So, um, right. Anyway, I've gone on for too long, but you you get the gist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to 
get kind of like a Chinese perspective and American perspective, because Ian, you're in Beijing as well. And you also write for what has been called state affiliated media or Chinese state affiliate China state affiliated media by big tech corporations out here in the United States and the Western world. So first to uh, Jing Jing, I wanted to ask you, what is your impression of this broader attack on China-based media? I mean, it, it seems like one of the big reasons why you've been smeared and demonized and denigrated in all of these, I mean, the biggest Western media outlets, the biggest, especially U.S.-based media outlets, is because your voice challenges this anti-China narrative. What, what is your impression of like why this is happening? And uh, I, I guess what is the mood uh, 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 among you and, and your friends about this? Mm. Um, first, I want to say I think there's some different understandings of uh, state-affiliated media in China and in the West. I know. Uh, in America, or probably in general, Western countries, when you say government affiliated or or government sponsored organizations, people will have like some doubts about you. But then in China, state affiliated media are the media that people trust. the 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 general public trust, uh, rather trust of, of state affiliated media official media rather than like small subscriptions. Um, and then I do see like some sometimes some small media really pushing like here, some small media really pushing some uh, lies, misinformations. And I'm, I'm glad that those information will never make into uh, official media, state uh, government, government media, because they are more responsible, um, like they do fact checks. So I mean, there's a different understandings. And then um, I think these media attacking me as, a, as they are not attacking, they are just putting a label on me, trying to use the label to discredit my voice. I mean, my opinion um, for China, for whatever, like what I say is because I truly believe that I'm a Chinese. So I'm, I'm saying this as a Chinese speaking for my culture, for my country. And I work for state affiliated media and I, everybody, all my followers know this from the day one, they follow me and I've never hidden it from anyone. Like you, you know that, right, Danny, you know that, that like I work for CGT and the day. Yeah, one. I think that's, how, I mean, that's how I came <laughs> to know you. And then I found out that, wow, you're also like a yeah. social media kind of uh, re <laughs> real influencer. Like you have millions of followers oh, on thank Facebook. You. Thank you. <laughs> No, actually, my followers know very well who I work for. And also but the interviewees that I approach, they are willing to be interviewed by me because they know what I do. They know who I work for. They know my personal YouTube channel. And uh, so when this this major Western media, when they try to label me, discredit me with these labels, well, it, I, I didn't lose any followers. On the contrary, I gained more followers. Interesting, right? So the more they attack me, the more followers I gain. So I was like, oh, this is really hilarious. And that probably shows how much people in the West, how many people in the West uh, are losing trust in mainstream media. So I think this mainstream media really need to think 
what have they done wrong to lose trust in the public that the public rather go to independent journalists go to the media that they are labeled as enemy and uh, even though, even like for example if i write an article for cgtn or any chinese media if i post it on twitter twitter will say well this is article is from a uh, china state affiliate media or iran state affiliate media or russia's uh, state media and then if you click like they will keep showing this the different windows keeps popping up to stop you from viewing this article to like this article and i have a lot of followers saying geez i know she's working for china's media just let me like this article so by adding these labels, they are not trying to warn people. They are limiting people from accessing our content. And they are limiting people from reading uh, my posts. For example, I had a label, a handle on my Twitter. It says China, China Affiliate Media. So before I had that handle, my followers were growing very fast, steadily, every, probably a thousand every week. But once I got this label, the grow the number grow like stopped immediately. So this label is not just warning people; it's limiting our traffic. So you gotta think: Why are they stopping people from the country that they are allegedly really care about, really concerned about? Uh, why are they stopping voices like mine if they genuinely care about us? Um, I made videos on Xinjiang because I go to Xinjiang. I, as a Chinese, was in China talking to another Chinese, talking about our culture, our stories. But that's unaccept unacceptable to the media, to most people. No, you're lying. You're lying. They're trying to find every way possible to, to stop our voice from get, getting more audience. Why? And if you see, and sometimes I see like media, like even Associated Press, they interview the most ridiculous victim or, or, or I don't know where they find those people. For example, this uh, fake Chinese policeman uh, that being used by the World Uyghur Congress, that policeman, uh, if yeah. any Chinese see that, it's, it's hilarious because that's a not real Ch Chinese policeman. He had to wear the uniform everywhere he goes to persuade people. And sometimes people just make horrendous, ridiculous lies that to us as Chinese here, we think this is like hilarious. You can't, that, can't, that cannot be true. But people, audience in the Western countries, they believe that. So they only broadcast the voices, the dissidents, no matter how ridiculous your stories are, as long as you're saying China bad, uh, your 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 dissident will will amplify your voices, but if you're saying ah no actually what you say is wrong, uh, or you're saying <laughs> you're presenting your real culture, your real country to them, they're like, nah that cannot be true. So people gotta think why, why are they only allowing those kind of voices about China to be out? and not allowing all my voices to be out. And actually, when I say something and I 
make those tell those stories. I'm not trying to ask everybody to blindly believe whatever I say. Don't blindly believe what I say. I'm just one of the voices. What I'm trying to do is these voices, this footage are just the things that Western media don't show you. So I show you this side of a story. This, this is the reason why. This is the context. This is people. There are people saying this too. Take a look, and then decide. Compare with our voices and the and the Western media's voices, and make make up your mind. Come come to a conclusion to yourself. Don't need if you don't believe me. Fine, perfectly okay. But even that is unacceptable to the mainstream media, Western mainstream media. Isn't、yeah. the Western university teaching everybody to be? You know, you need to be critical thinking about everything. So why now? It's like they're now allowing、uh, to be yeah. listed. Yeah,、uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to get you in here to talk about、uh, sort of you know your you grew up in the United States. You work in China. You work for the China Daily. I guess what's been your impression of these attacks、uh, on China-based media in general, and what's been your experience? I guess, and is there any Uh, I don't know、uh, similarities, differences between what we're getting here out here in the United States and in the West. The information. Well, I mean, there's a presumption of dishonesty for anybody who works in these outlets because, as was said, you know, because it is state affiliated, because there is state ownership of of major media outlets, that one cannot work at these places、uh, without being. Dishonest in some way. Like the presumption is that it, it's 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 a chicken and egg thing. But in this case, the the relationship is more clear cut. Like the the causality is more clear cut. Whereas you know this notion that well, me for example, you know I am I was open to working in Chinese media. I was I was interested in doing that, and I and I applied and I received a job offer and came here. Not you know. Not being a, a blank slate upon which all the talking points were written, like written and then told to to disseminate them、uh, in my writing and in my work. You no, know, I I came to work here because I already believed these things. Right? It just it just made sense to、uh, to go to a place where there would be and there wouldn't be a, a stigma attached to having these opinions because they are the majority opinion. Of of the people that live here, you know, right? Like the independent polling shows very high levels of trust in government and high levels of support for government. Now, the reasons for that support and that trust are varied among the people, but broadly speaking, they are supportive of the direction the country is going and the leadership of the country. That's undeniable. So, articulating those opinions is not essentially the product of like this kind of dishonest、uh, procedure of of. Influence peddling or bribery or whatever the accusation of du jour is, it's a product of people genuinely holding these opinions and then articulating them in whatever manner they choose to do,、uh, in whatever platforms they choose to do.、Um, if it's part of their work, fine. If it's not, also fine. You know, like the this 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 presumption again of of the. Dishonesty or or mercenary behavior、um, is only extended to those who do this on like who who engage in this process of finding a platform for their genuinely held opinions. This only happens when when 
this is this is under the aegis of a country that's designated as an official enemy of the United States. Um, it doesn't happen, you know, like the same process happens all over the place in in U.S. corporate media, right? Uh, the Chomsky talked about this uh, in manufacturing consent. Parenti talked about this in inventing reality. This is a this is a kind of organic, holistic, totality process by which those who are ideologically inclined with the publications uh, that they're aiming to work for find work, find promotion, find favor in those institutions, and consequently move up the ladder because their genuinely held opinions align with the ideological viewpoint of the publications in which they're working. Right? You know, it, it's it's a it's a very common process that's very pretty easily understood. And yet there is a a desire or a need to suppress this very obvious fact and and treat the corporate media in the United States and in other countries, the capitalist media, as this kind of non-ideological signboard of truth, you know, the, the, the crystalline clarity of, of unvarnished fact that presumably breaks through the clouds of, of, of ignorance and, and shines the, the divine providence, divine prophecy upon those who read it rather than it being just like everything else, a product of a, of a complex ideological system, right? This notion that the, that these liberal perspectives, these capitalist aligned perspectives are devoid of ideological backing, are devoid of motivation, devoid of, of interest. But all the, the bad guys, the enemies, they have nothing but interest. They have nothing but ideology. They have nothing but uh, mercenaries because that's, there's no there there. It's, it's all just kind of empty, uh, self-fulfilling sloganeering on behalf of a disinterested public and and, uh, and, a, and a distant government, but the reality is far from that. You know, people are supportive of the government here because they have eyes and ears and they can see how things are better now than they were 10, 20, 30, 40, 73 years ago. Um, and, and people don't need to be told that when they're experiencing it for themselves. And, and that does create a bond, a link, uh, an appreciation for, for the system in which they were brought up and the system in which they live. And that leads to genuine support, genuine belief. Uh, and, and so some of those people enter the media to share their honest opinion. This is not unusual. This is not exceptional. Um, this, again, happens all over the place. It's just that when it is aligned with a, with a with an opposing ideology or with an opposing kind of system, an alternative kind of system, uh, all the guns, all the knives come out and, and suddenly anyone who articulates a certain opinion or, or type of opinion is, is tarred with the brush of, of being a phony, being a, you know, fake in some way, dishonest in some way. Um, when, you know, we just feel how we feel, man, you know, like it's, it's based on, it's, it's based on real observations, you know, study, uh, belief. The, these opinions don't just fall out of the sky. They don't, they don't come fully formed like Athena from Zeus's head and then, you know, enter into our brains or, or brought to us by a big bag, like a big bag with a dollar sign on it or a, or a UN sign on it. Um, you know, like it, this is, yeah, it's, it's, there's a link and it's a real link. It's not, it's not something that gets, um, manufactured or, or constructed out of some artificial process. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, as you were talking, I, I was thinking back to what Jing Jing said about the Uyghur policeman because in how he was paraded across the media here out here in the West as some kind of legitimate voice around the Xinjiang issue. It, because, I mean, what you're saying here is that there is trust in the government. There is trust in the media in China. People then become journalists. They choose to report and analyze within uh, Chinese media institutions their genuine opinions on things. And uh, these narratives, I feel like the McCarthyism, which is the attacks uh, on anyone who works for, who uh, is based in China, or who just challenges any of these anti-China narratives by the United States, they're demonized, they're attacked, they're suppressed, they're repressed uh, in some form or another, uh, especially when it comes to media. But this isn't even to say, I, I want to pull it up here because, you know, I commented on this a while ago. Uh, there's just an utter laziness. There's, as you said, Ian, there's, it's very ideological. It, it really has no basis in fact, all of these attacks. But CNN had this, this police officer, so supposed <laughs> police officer, right? And the Uyghur Tribunal, uh, not... Uh, uh, six months uh, before that, had the same person on talking with the atrocity propaganda about Xinjiang. And, and he his name then was Wang Leijian. Then he is interviewed by CNN and suddenly his uh, uh, his name is just Zhang, uh, completely different. But it's the same person. Uh, and CNN did not care to talk about this at all. They just presented him as this original source, someone who has legitimacy because he's wearing a police uniform hilariously, right? He snuck out of China with this police uniform on in order to talk to the Western press. Uh, but they didn't talk about his connections to the Uyghur Tribunal, which, as you said, Jing Jing, is connected to the World Uyghur Congress. Just no mention of that. No mention of that. No mention of the ties to the U.S. government that these institutions have. And there's some have. like small things. I mean, if you're in China and know China's laws, regulations, some things you just know that's impossible. First, where, how could he just bring this uniform all the way to Europe when he, when he fled China? That's almost impossible. And second, um, he was covering his face in every interview and CNN altered his voice. Uh, saying they do the, do this just just because uh, to protect his uh, family because he wants to remain anonymous. I mean, if you are a policeman, you if you are a government official, when you fled China like that, I mean, first policemen cannot just leave China. I mean, when, when you are a government official, when you are a policeman, when you are a soldier, you, you have to apply, uh, make an application. Uh, fill out tell people tell your boss where you're going um what are you doing because they're doing sp specific very special jobs so when they are going abroad they have to do this application so when he's there if he's a real policeman his boss all the officials already know who he was even he's really concerned about his family members he wouldn't just came out like that I mean, so I mean, there's a like a, a bunch of apparent loopholes, lies. This is just this fake policeman. 
And uh, actually, a lot of Twitter users debunking every angle. So if you're interested, you can go look it up. There's another case. It's the allegedly the uh, the victim of the form of the the, the concentration concentration camps, right? Tersnai, uh, her story is being uh, published by CNN, BBC, uh, BuzzFeed as well. She was saying how horrible Uyghur women was being treated in these camps. But then there's so many loopholes in her story because her story got exaggerated every time he got interview. She got interviewed by another media. In her first meet, in his first interview, I think it's with BuzzFeed. She didn't mention any the mistreatment. She actually said, "Well, they 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 treat me very well." So didn't mention any abuse or or rape, all this like atrocious atrocious crimes towards women. But but then eventually, when she got interviewed by CNN, her story would got so um had exaggerated with all these horrendous crimes. Uh, she tried to cry in, during the interview, but it's so hard for her to make any tears during the interview. If you see the footage, you see she was really trying to make some tears, but she couldn't. But then there's a very obvious loophole. Is um, She said she was on um, house arrest by local. And then the CNBBC showed the photo of her passport. passport. Actually, the first photo was uh, uh, being published by BBC. The issue date of the passport was still on, but then it got republished by CNN. The issue date of the passport got blurred. Why CNN blurred the issue date of the passport? Because there's a parent loophole. The issue date was during the time she claimed she was under house arrest. So which government, which uh, government will issue a brand new passport for anyone who is under arrest? So I mean, there's a, so many loopholes in those stories. But instead of correcting their stories, delete uh, delete this story from their website, they just blur the loopholes. This is just blurred area, so people won't see the blue uh, the the loopholes in the stories. So, I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? So when they make wrong stories, false stories, but it, as long as it's about China, they will just still live it on their website it's okay so that's why there i have so many issues with all this so-called victim story there are so many apparent loopholes any chinese can see it not just chinese any people are doing if you do any research you will see that so how could these well-trained uh western journalists who went to very expensive j schools in the united states in the uk couldn't see this through you just google that mm. see that so where are I doing that? And this is this. And it's, I remember just like um, a few weeks ago, I remember this um, the story several years ago about a bunch of refugees who were hiding in the truck. And when they arrived in UK, they found out they found them them dead in the in the truck. And then the local police just say, "Are uh, the uh, Chinese refugees?" Without identifying them. And then weeks later, they confirmed that they are actually Vietnamese refugees. Mm. And this story is still, and the, the CNN, and because that was the year of the, the founding of China's like 75th anniversary. And then this could be a really uh, big scandal to say, well, Chinese people were not happy with this uh, 
anniversary, this big, uh, they don't see China's big achievement. They want to flee the country. So CNN wrote a huge piece why China Chinese want, will risk their lives flee, fleeing the country when the country is celebrating the 75 anniversaries. And uh, so all the all this media did so many stories about this. And then days later, they confirmed it's actually the refugees from Vietnam. And they, they didn't apologize. They, didn't, they just, oh, oops, sorry, they are Vietnamese. And I just checked two weeks ago, those stories are still on CNN, are still on BBC. Hmm. Why you're not retracting those articles? Yeah. <laughs> you are apparently I mean, publishing fake news. There, I mean, there's there's no need to, or if there is a retraction or a correction, it doesn't get anywhere near the same amount of attention that the original article got because, you know, this, yeah. this is how the, the algorithmic sharing of news on social media works as well, you know, like, it's an accumulated process of creating these narratives and creating these particular, you know, bullet points that people can kind of gish gallop through and throw at people and, and just, you know, blow through them in rapid fire. And then, and then, you know, this, you, you can't respond to each and every one because, you know, it, what, what, what's the, what's the expression? It, it takes a, it takes a lie, uh, a lie can walk halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. So um, there's a difficulty in responding because you have to go into more detail uh, than you, than, than someone has to, to just like mention some bullet points from stuff they've read in the news. And again, it's an accumulated kind of process by which there are certain narratives that take hold. So no matter what happens in the future, no matter whether those narratives are, are debunked or, or, problematized with more information or, or, or different facts or new facts. Um, there might be a correction at the bottom of the story. There might be a correction several paragraphs deep, or there might be more information that either invalidates the headline or invalidates the story in the first place, buried 10, 20 paragraphs down for plausible deniability uh, when the story is written. But the point is those don't get shared. Those don't get the, the attention, the same attention that the big blaring headline gets. And so you get things like, I find one of the best examples of this is the notion of like a social credit system, right? We heard so much about that a few years ago about the, the black mirror analogies and things like that. The reality was very different from that. And uh, it was only months, even years later when some outlets started writing more measured, uh, more measured takes on what this act is or isn't. And it wasn't nearly as hyperbolic as what a lot of people have been saying before. However, didn't matter uh, because by that point, social credit was being brought up in all kinds of arguments. The US government officials were talking about it as if it was this real pernicious thing, uh, that this Orwellian method of control, which is not what it is. It's barely, you know, it is, it is a thing, but it's not a thing the way people presumed it was back whenever this reporting was going on. But again, didn't matter. So you have a you have a reality now in which uh, it's a meme, right? It's a common meme of like, oh, you got social credit points because you said something positive about China, or you're going to get negative social credit points for saying something. Uh, you know, it goes that way. It's another means of invalidating one's position or opinions or arguments. Uh, but it's it's especially egregious because it's based on something that doesn't even exist the way the person using it thinks it does. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that year, you know, years down the line, we now we I mean, I knew I, I wrote stuff about it back in 2017, but that didn't matter. 
it's Twitter. It's, it's so it's, it's in the ether. It's ephemeral, but, um, but years later, we know a lot better and, and there's no excuse now because even the reliable media outlets have reported this way, but doesn't matter to some random person on the internet or doesn't matter to someone, a politician who wants to leverage this myth to leverage this kind of narrative into favorable policy into a policy that can be used to attack or contain China. It's a useful tool, uh, even if it's not truthful in the least bit. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean the the proper I mean the propaganda we could call it just the lies, the distortions about China. We could, I mean, we could spend probably the rest of our lives talking about each and every one because it is basically a daily occurrence at this point in the Western media, Western corporate media and among the political establishment. And so I guess the question is for many, I'm sure, especially many who are new to China, Chinese history, politics, and US relations with China, this kind of probably feels sudden because the onslaught uh, has uh, come on at a very particular juncture in history, especially over the last uh, five to 10 years. I want to I want to kick it back to you, Ian, and then get your opinion, Jingjing. As we, uh, you know, I, I know it's late out there in China. Definitely want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I'll be sticking around for a little bit longer after the hour, but I wanted to get your opinion about the why. Why is the U.S. the U.S. the media, Western media in general, why is it so focused on China, and why is it so focused on China in this way? Like, what what, uh, what is the basis for all of this? Well, I mean, take your pick. You know, there's um, there are a lot of reasons why. There's ideological reasons why, political reasons why. Uh, I think you know, as a Marxist, uh, you have to go. You know, you can, you can talk about the superstructure and the base, and you can go down to the material base, economic level, right? Um, China has for the seventy-two, almost seventy-three years that it's been under the CPC as as the as the party in power. Um, has been building a society based on uh, the fulfillment of material needs and the fulfillment of people's desires for a better life, right? So that's been happening for the entire history of the PRC. Uh, but in the, in the years of reform and opening up uh, since 1978, there has been an enormous crash increase in growth Right, stunning increase in growth not seen since the early 20th century with the Soviet Union. Um, there's a lot to talk about there, but but in particular, the nature of China's opening up. You know, it wasn't as simple because there's been many countries that were previously somewhat, let's say, closed that opened up to the West or to the world at large. You know, Japan famously um, opened up not by its own choice. Um, and China at first also was opened up not by its own choice, uh, but by the occupation and, and colonial uh, aggrandizement and, and, and enrichment by uh, colonialism, feudalism, imperialism, so on. But in, in the modern history, uh, this unprecedented growth came with its own rules that were written by China. China set the, set the terms for its opening, set the terms for its introduction of foreign capital into its economy, right? It wasn't as simple as opening up the floodgates, letting everything, everything and everyone in and untrammeled uh, 
commerce, untrammeled extraction of surplus value, untrammeled exploitation. It, it, it set boundaries and set guidelines that would allow for in the future, first of all, would allow for some protect, protection of base rights, protection of base standard of living, um, and also uh, would allow for the development of its own indigenous industries uh, in the future after that opening up happened and after the, there was expertise and there was, there was capital and there was in, some investment. Um, now we're reaching that inflection point. We have reached that inflection point several years ago where indigenous industry, indigenous economic power has supplanted foreign capital as the driving force of China's development. And because of that, because there is now a very palpable threat to economic hegemony on the part of the, the capitalists, the wealthy capitalist countries, and not only is it is it a rival in economic terms, but it's a rival in ideological terms because there has been a continuity of government, a continuity of ideology through the Communist Party, despite the fact that the Communist Party has gone through many different phases and 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 changes in its theoretical outlook and its 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 uh, its view of the of the material conditions, its its uh, the particularities. That continuity has stayed there, and that creates economic. Uh, challenges to the U.S.-led uh, capitalist hegemony, uh, ideological challenges because the presentation of an alternative under the under the red banner, under the banner of socialism, banner of communism, is always going to be setting off even more alarm bells than anything else. But you know, again, doesn't have to doesn't ne didn't necessarily have to be, be strictly because of communism because we saw what happened with Japan in the '80s, uh, what the U.S. does to a potential rival. Uh, attempts to, to beat it into submission, which it was to some degree able to do with Japan uh, to a rather large degree, but is has so far been unable to do with China, although it is, of course, trying. Um, so, right. So, I mean, it, it's this dual kind of threat. It's not just it's not just that there is an economic alternative uh, and, and, a, and an alternative for countries in terms of trade where they don't have to abide by certain political and economic requirements for trade relationships. They don't have to privatize their economies. They don't have to, they don't have to, to rob the public coffers in order to fund uh, financing from, from supranational bodies like the IMF or World, or World Bank or bilaterally. Um, and, and there is a growing understanding that there is more than one way of doing things. Uh, and, and so any, any challenge to that extractive process, any challenge to that draining of surplus value from, from the imperial periphery toward the core, which happens in many different ways, and we can talk about that for hours, but, um, but any, any circuit breaker of that process, any potential circuit breaker of that process is not to be countenanced or, or abided. And so uh, this is why, you know, of course, People will say there's political motivations. There's like there are these like little myriad motivations, but really, what it comes down to is this somewhat inevitable trend um, of of creation of blocks, of creation of of groups of nations. Uh, as you know, Lenin said back in the early 20th century. You know, he saw he predicted this exact thing uh, when he wrote Imperialism at the beginning of, of the 20th century, you know, over a hundred years ago. And it's still true. It's still correct. Um, and, and Mao Zedong talked about it as well. You know, like these, these people were not wrong. 
Um, and we're seeing the expression, the reality of these theories taking place now as these blocks uh, are forming, as, as there are patterns of behavior that create these antagonisms, um, they have their roots in this desire for economic domination, which has its intricacies and its uh, vagaries, but that is the bottom line. And so that's what I think the motivation is. So I will uh, stop monologuing. <laughs> oh, this is great. I, I want to get your opinion, uh, Jing Jing, because, you know, I, I would love to know what you think about uh, why this is happening. I don't know, from you, from your colleagues, you know, I guess what's the, uh, what's, What's the conclusion here? Like, wh why is China the subject of all of these attacks, in your opinion? Hmm. I think China is the subject probably because China is now a rising power that's indeed threatening this novel that Western countries or United States is writing about itself. It's China now. It could be other country if other country is the rising economy that poses as a threat to the United States. I mean, um, Western countries always accuse their enemy countries as doing propaganda, right? China is doing propaganda, Russia is doing propaganda, Iran doing propaganda. All these countries on the enemy list is doing propaganda. But if you really look at it, the, the master of propaganda is actually the United States <laughs> because most people are programmed to hate communism or hate uh, anything that these countries do. And you will, media or anyone say any ridiculous things that this country do, people will believe it. If you see any ridiculous things that North Koreans are doing, people believe it. Why? You have to think why. People are programmed to hate these things. I think I, uh, I watched some uh, box pop. Like, I think most people cannot even point where North Korea is, where China is on a map. They don't know where you are. They don't know what your real culture is. They don't know who you are, but I, I know I hate you. This mindset is weird. So, you know, before um, I was I was doing a lot of politics now. But when I start, right, graduated and started my career, first second year of my career, I was doing cultural news because I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to do politics because I just want to be like light, doing lighthearted things to like to be happy because college politics is really heavy. But then I decided to. Uh, be more active on different platforms to to really debunk all these lies because all these lies, misconceptions, disinformation is piling up all these years. And as a Chinese who has been reading all this news all the time from Western media, like I couldn't take it anymore. I remember I was I was studying journalism in the UK when I was in journalism school when I read all this news on BBC yesterday. Uh, okay. I was upset, but I didn't got me, triggered me enough to really call it out. But all these years, I see all this misinformation, all these lies building up. It's like, okay, now I'm a Chinese, I'm in China, 
And I'm a, I happen to be a journalist that I can actually go to these places, bring different voices in. And my English is not perfect, but I can communicate with English-speaking people. So let me tell my stories to you guys, not just let some some people with uh, filters with this uh, biases to tell my stories. I can tell tell you my tell you about my culture, my country. But then you think you would think that your country, your culture is being mentioned by this media all the time. You would think they are willing to hear you, but no. Your your opinion does not in line with their narratives, so they just label you, discredit you. This this is very dangerous. Uh, I think I'm. I hope to bring more of these stories, more of the voices here to more audiences in the in the West because West media don't show that. So I just hope to bring different sides of these opinions to people. And I'm actually I'm wondering, can I share screens as well, sure. Danny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's that option. Um, so yeah, so like uh, China is now the rising country. So as it rises, being like uh, you see that like more people come to China as well. So more voices from China, like mine, like Ian's, like like yours, are telling the stories. So it, it really making all these narratives collapsing. Their China bad, China bad narrative collapsing, and China, uh, more countries from the global south is uh, uniting. And um, and then, like for example, the BRI Belt and Road Initiative. So I will talk about this in our webinar, webinar last weekend as well. So United States sometimes is like your jealous neighbor. When he sees you build a swimming pool in your yard, he's very jealous. But instead of building his own, he decided to take a dump in yours. So <laughs> what he's really doing to trying to well, you guys are, 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 are playing together. No, let me do something. Let, let me talk bad mouth you behind you. So I have some screenshots. So to make China look bad. Um, how do I do it? Let me see. Sorry, this is the first time to use this uh, share screens on StreamYard. There should be on the bottom a share, share feature. My whole yeah. desktop will be share, right? I think you can choose if it's like a, yeah, it depends on what it is. Damn. Oh, there's so many securities. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, taking a really long time. There's a firewall. <laughs> yeah, while you're waiting, everyone, make sure you're just liking the stream. Uh, make sure you're sharing it. All that good stuff. Subscribing to the channel. Yes, you can. You can 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 see that, right? Uh, nothing's can. popped up yet. Um, Chrome prohibited trying to protect my security. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, mm, okay. But I can maybe later you can edit on the video or something. So this is a bill. It's the the United States passed a bill of this uh, Strategic Competition Act of twenty twenty one. Uh, so uh, hold on, uh, Jing Jing, is it a yeah. link or is it like a pick? Like what, what are, what did you want to share? Cause you could also just, if it's a link, you can send it in the private chat and I could. Okay. Uh, I got a picture though. Oh, okay. screenshot. Okay. Picture. But I can also show, show you the, my Chrome. I can show you a link here. The news, uh, the story on the Herald, the Zimbabwe newspaper. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I'll put that up when you're talking about it. Okay, so this is it, and also got some screenshot of this bill passed by the Senate. It's、uh, I can read it. This is for a countering Chinese influence fund. You heard about that, right? So,、mm-hmm. countering Chinese influence fund, there's、uh, authorized to be appropriated three hundred million U.S. dollars for each of fiscal years twenty twenty two through twenty twenty six for the countering Chinese influence fund to counter the malign influence of the Chinese Communist Party globally. Amounts appropriated, persuasion. Persuasion to these authorizations are authorized to remain available until expended, and shall be in addition to amounts otherwise authorized to be appropriated to counter such influence. Okay, so I I wanted to share these screenshots. So what what is what is media what does fund do? Where does this money go? So one portion of this money goes to support for local media. The Secretary of State, acting through an Assistant Secretary of the State for Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor, in coordination with the Administration of the United States Agency for International Development, shall support and train journalists on investigative techniques necessary to ensure public accountability related to the Belt and Road Initiative. They name it. So this fund goes to support local media in different countries to say bad things about Belt and Road Initiative. And I just shared you uh, this uh, uh, link of this、uh, newspaper, the Herald from Zimbabwe. So, the title: U.S. plans to discredit Chinese investment unmasked. So the local journalists find the United States is sponsoring a strategy to undermine Chinese investments in Zimbabwe by smearing. China's Chinese companies are engaging in widespread labor malpractices, as well as a violation of human, community, and environmental rights, among others. They also organize some protests. So that's why all the negative news. That's one of the reasons all the negative news, all the all the bad things you heard about China, because they're they are directly funded by the United States government. The the media are trained to write. Bad things about China. They are trained to organize protests, color color revolutions. So that's why I said in the beginning that who is the master of the propaganda? Yeah, the United States. Yeah. Well, we're coming. Yeah. No, those are all very good points. We're coming to the end here. I would I would like both of you、uh, to you know I'll stay on for another fifteen minutes, half hour or so with all of you, but I know it's getting late out there in Beijing. So,、uh, Ian, first, any last comments and where people can find you, and then、uh, move to Jingjing. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think what what I want or what I would what I would prefer is just a little bit of honesty、um, from these people. You know, like I don't make any secret of my views, my positions on things, my opinions. You know, it's all very. It's all very clear if you if you take even a casual look at anything I've written, or、uh, social media or whatever, you know, like it's no secret.、Um, and again, these were my opinions before; they're my opinions now. They'll be my opinions whenever I leave. You know, whenever I if, in the at some point in the future, if I stop working where I'm working, or if I leave China, I'm not going to suddenly have a big, you know, come to Jesus turnaround and and be a 
you know, like a disgruntled former employee uh, slinging barbs at, at the place that, that uh, you know, <laughs> gave me a livelihood for, for years. Um, but again, you know, it, it's, it's, again, that's not specifically out of some imagined loyalty to a paycheck. It's about my honestly held opinions. So again, I'm clear with, with what I believe and, and what I think. Right. And I'm clear about why I believe the things I believe, you know, it's, a, I'm a communist. It's not uh, crazy. Um, I would, I would like that same level of honesty from people on the other side of the fence. Right. You know, it's fine if, if you're going to take this position and, and articulate these, you know, broadcast these narratives and, and do this in a way I am, there are many people, I'm not. I, I'm going to extend the same, um, the same level of uh, credulity or or belief in in the people that are opposite my opposite number that I would want them to do for me. Now they don't do that for me oftentimes, but I do it for them. So I presume that these are their honest opinions as well, because they, in many ways, most likely are, because this is how it works. This is the the way the system works. So I would I would just appreciate you know uh, uh, reciprocation of that honesty and just you know just be clear about what your biases are and what your positions are and don't don't mask it with this veneer of of false objectivity or false um, self appointment as arbiters of truth right we're all coming at this you know objectivity is overrated. Um, it's also kind of an illusion. We all have our perspectives. We all bring our experiences and our opinions to what we do, no matter what we're doing. I mean, you try, you, you try to investigate the facts, you, you try to seek the truth, but you will have a perspective and it does affect your perceptions of things. So I can admit that. I have no problem admitting that. I don't see why it's so difficult for them to do the same thing. That's all I'm asking for. Just a little bit of a level, level playing field here. That's all I want, really. So that we know where we stand, and that's really what what I what it boils down to for me. Great, uh, yeah. And uh, Jing Jing, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My name is Li Jing Jing, um, and also you can find me on YouTube. Uh, the same name, like mine, Li Jing Jing. Just just type my name, <laughs> you will find all, both my channels. And I'm also on TikTok, Reddit, uh, Facebook. So choose which platform you prefer so you can find me. And uh, what I want to do is just tell the stories. Uh, tell Since China is on the, in the spotlight of the Western media, so I think I um, want to tell the, my culture, my country, uh, myself. So um, if you really care to understand China, I'm one of the voices that you can hear. Of course, I don't represent everybody, the entire country. I'm just one of the people living here. And but my life is just one of the 1.4 billion people who really benefit from the development of this country. So if you care about China's news, welcome to check my platforms. Great. Well, I appreciate both of you taking out a late evening to hang out with me. I'm going to stick around for another half hour, but I really 
appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. And I'm sure I'll be talking this, to this both is of a you. Physical, if they were too. really meeting offline, I'm going to, you should bring us some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I'll definitely, when I'm in China again, I'll definitely have to meet up with, with both of you. Uh, all right. Well, take, take good care, guys. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was a really good interview. Please, um, please stick around. Uh, I'll be on for another half hour or so. Uh, but keep liking that stream. Keep helping boost this, sharing it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Hit the notifications bell. Uh, make sure you hit that notifications bell. And uh, please do. You know, I'm about... I think I lost some subscribers because economic times are hard. But I'm about $75 away from my goal, a little bit uh, 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 over, <laughs> a little bit more than $75 away from my goal on Patreon. So please do support me, patreon.com slash Danny Haifang, uh, patreon.com slash Danny Haifang. You can also uh, subscribe or contribute in any way in the description of this video. It's very much appreciated. So uh, thank, thanks all for coming to the interview portion, but I did want to speak for about 15 minutes to a half hour more with all of you. If you have any super chat questions, I could surely take those. I won't do the AMA style. But yeah, no, I wanted to actually, we didn't have time. I did find the thread that Ian was talking about with the social credit system. And I do want to review all of that with you as sort of like a separate video portion of this stream. And because I had two guests on at the same time, when I found it, I said, okay, this is going to take a while. So let's not uh, go over this and give make sure Jing Jing had enough time to speak. So I hope that uh, Ian doesn't file any copyright um, issues with me. Uh, because of this, but I want to share his thread about the social credit system because you asked me about it. I summarized it, uh, but I did not. Uh, I did not go into great detail, so I want to go into great detail because it was asked in the AMA. So this is a great thread, I think, to help explain the social credit system. There's a lot of propaganda about this. So here he says some tweets uh, in order to. Uh, uh, kind of discredit the Black Mirror sort of de sens sensationalist narrative about China's social credit system. So some background on why the system exists. In China, a FICO-type system like what the U.S. has wouldn't be very useful as very few Chinese are debt holders. Most people don't take out loans for major purposes. They save instead. And I can attest to basically everybody I know in China and all the Americans and Westerners, I also know who live in China, they all say the same thing, that China is a extreme saving culture. Extreme. When I say extreme, I really do mean extreme. Uh, uh, people in China value saving money uh, more than anyone else I've met in any other part of the world. I mean, I haven't been to every part of the world. But where I have been, Turkey, Cuba, other places, it's it's just, yeah, I've never, I've never met I've never met a people, a culture that this is so relevant to. He says, probably more importantly, before the system existed, there wasn't a unified set of consequences for businesses who failed to pay fines, uphold agreements, 
or generally hold ex- to acceptable standards of conduct. Unless the offense was criminal, few punishments exist- existed. So this context is helpful, but less relevant when it comes to reporting about the system in the Western press. You've seen headlines, Black Mirror is real, God help us all, etc. So what are the actual consequences for breaking the rules in this system? You can see for yourself. Here's the first list related to the investment in finance, to investment in finance. This set of punishments is clearly aimed at high income defaulters to limit their market activity. <laughs> Spooky. So this is a threat from 2018. And here you can see, I don't know if this is how big that is for all of you. No, it's not really getting any bigger. But basically, it says restrictions on engaging in particular sectors or affairs, establishing restrictions in financial companies, ensure that information concerning persons subject to enforcement for trust breaking is a reference to due diligence during examination and approval for the establishment of banking and financial bodies or their branch bodies, as well as share purchasing and the acquisition of... So there's just... These are just restrictions on issuing bonds, restrictions on qualified investor status, shareholder incentive restrictions, restrictions on the issue of shares, share quotations and transfer, restrictions on establishment, establishing social organizations. So here you see that, yeah, this is not just, I mean, again, as Ian was saying, there aren't many debt holders or shareholders in China. That's not a huge part of the population. These are for a particular group of people that do work in China. Um, and so it's all about restricting that work. Really what that restriction means is protecting. And so he says some others include taking management positions in state-owned enterprises, becoming a civil servant, and joining the CPC. Defaulting on debt or defrauding customers will probably already come up in a routine background check for these positions anyway, but that's whatever, right? So here's the big one, the punishment that's grabbing all the headlines, train and play tickets. What does the policy actually say? So here it says restrictions on writing trains and aircraft, restrict persons subject to enforcement for trust breaking in legal representative, main responsible persons, actual controlling persons, as well as directly responsible persons influencing the performance of debt in persons subject to enforcement for trust breaking from riding soft sleepers and trains, all C to G classified train sets, and all first-class seats and other civil aircraft level. So trust-breaking, right? That's a huge word here. And he goes on to say, if you're take if you're on the bad credit list, you can't buy first-class plane tickets or luxury plane train tickets. You also can't engage in conspicuous consumption, travel, or send your kids to expensive private schools. Wow, it's just like that Netflix show. <laughs> so basically, the social credit system is for those who are engaged in fraudulent practices, especially around this kind of big business market activity, uh, trust-breaking activity. I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, those who are um, who are really engaged in things that, uh, you know, are financially harmful to people. And so he says, the most recent communiques on this policy were first issued were recently issued and offered a bit more detail. Uh, first, trains. So here you see, you know, the scope of the restrictions. So persons responsible for acts gravely influencing railway operational security and production security who are fined by public security bodies are determined as such by railway stations or train work unions. Those disrupting the operational order of railway train stations and endanger railway security results. In- so here you have just like, this is just doing illegal things um, on trains. And then those investigated and persecuted for scalping rail tickets or producing and peddling counterfeit tickets. So this is just kind of standard 
legal illegal activity. And then it goes on to say uh, parties and major tax violations who have the capability to implement but do not implement the judgment. So these are basically people with money, right? So if you are in trouble around taxes and you have the money or you have the ability to meet the punishment and you do not do it, then yes, you get these restrictions. So again, you see over and over again how this is not Black Mirror. This is not Black Mirror. This, um, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. I'm going to put that up. Uh, make sure you support the Patreon, patreon.com slash Haifong. So seriously, though, uh, think about this. This is all about punishing bad financial activity, things that really do harm people. So to sum up, the first set of violations is for specific rules related to train travel, like the issuing of fraudulent tickets or scalping. This is a unit <laughs> scalping. I have a Boston accent. Sorry. This is a universal ban from ticket purchases. The second list is a broader one, which carries the high class punishments we saw earlier. The broader list includes things you might accept, expect like financial fraud or deception, but also includes not paying out social security or employing entities who don't. How terrible that they should be punished with a seat on a C or D class bullet train instead of a G class. A side note, C class and D class bullet trains are a little less fast than G class. They also cost less because they don't have two tiers of luxury seating. Not, no one I've seen reporting on this has bothered to point that dis distinction. So um, I'm just going to show all these people saying, join us on Patreon. Thank you so much. I really would appreciate that. Please do go to the Patreon, uh, become a monthly sustainer of this work. But back to the thread. So, But let's say someone breaks the rules in the first category and wants to get off the blacklist. How would they go about doing so. Here is how. So removal of restrictions, a removal mechanism, specifically gravely untrustworthy persons will be appropriately barred from riding trains for a certain period. After a relevant subject is removed from the name list of persons barred from riding trains, they are no longer subject to restrictive measures from riding trains. The concrete removal method is as follows. Where a person is responsible for conduct gravely influencing railway operation security and production security as listed in clauses 1, 3 through 7 and 7, all railway operating enterprises will bar them from purchasing tickets for a period of 180 days to be calculated from the concluding date of the period of publication where there is no valid objection. After the 180 days, they are removed automatically and railway operation enterprises will resource ticket sales to them. When a person is responsible for conduct gravely influencing railway operational security and production security, as listed in clauses 4 through 6, all railway transportation enterprises will bar them from purchasing a ticket where... The responsible person play, pays back the ticket fare they owe to be calculated from the day after upgrading the ticket. Railway operation enterprises will restore ticket sales to them where the responsible person acts in violation of clauses four through six for three times within a year after amending the first ticket fare they owed. And the responsible person pays back the fare they owe within 90 days. The railway operation uh, operations enterprise restores ticket sales. So, so here you have just like this is just standard fare here, right? If you're a scalper or a smoker or otherwise subject to criminal punishment, you're barred for the train for 180 days. In reality, it's doubtful a person caught smoking once will be put on the list. I imagine repeat offenders will be the only ones punished this way. So, you know, it's like for things that people do that just aren't legal on the trains. Don't be selling counterfeit tickets. Don't be scalping tickets. Don't be smoking on the train when it's a non-smoking area, right? These are the punishments that come with them. It's, it's, it's not, this is not really crazy. If you're a false... If you use false documents to buy a ticket, ride without paying, your punishment is paying for your ticket. That's downright or will you? <laughs> so planes are a little different. The punishments are stricter, but so are the offenses. So here you have the social credit offenses. 
Uh, passengers carrying out the following acts in airports or aircraft who are subject to administrative punishment imposed by public security bodies or criminal liability, fabricating and willfully disseminating false information about terrorism involving civil aviation or air defense security, falsifying, altering, or illegally using another person's boarding identity document or boarding pass, blocking, forcibly occupying, or attacking check-in desk security. So, I mean, these aren't things that generally people will be doing that often, uh, at least I would hope. <laughs> you know, I would hope that a lot of people aren't trying to lie about a terrorist attack on a plane. I would hope that people aren't going to attack the workers over the kiosks and at the airport staff and workers. Right. So so these are just standard punishments. I mean, I don't anyway. So in the list, we've got forcible boarding, fighting, fighting on the plane, lighting a fire, doing actual terrorism. These are dangerous things. The list of offenses from the train travel policy is the same for air travel, financial fraud. Social security fraud, non-payment of fines concerning securities, white-collar crimes, in other words. So the punishments for plane travel are as follows. For violations of the first specific list, a one-year ban. Remember, that's the theft for terrorism list. So this is really becoming very mundane to me. I don't know about you all, but I am not excited about reading this thread anymore because, I mean, these are things that we would expect really any society, no matter what, even no matter what mode of development, right? Even when you have socialist development, like in China, I mean, you do have to have laws. You have to protect. If it's not, if you're not protecting private property, then you do have to protect the society in some way. Not all behavior is allowable in order for a stable society to exist, even a socialist one. So again, why is white collar list subject to stricter punishment for air travel than train travel? It should be obvious that it's easier to flee the country on planes. The scope of offenses in this policy indicate it's intended for wealthy individuals as an incentive to get them to pay their debts and fines. Some media outlets have taken a couple of local systems and made Weasley link out to national policy. For example, Shanghai has tested out its own version of the system, which includes repeat offenses for things like jaywalking. Uh, Zhejiang province has done this with garbage sorting. The above examples haven't actually been implemented on a national level, though, and it's unclear if they ever will. I have my doubts as the deadline for the credit system to be implemented nationally is 2020 and the clock is ticking. So this is 2018. If the central government thought these local schemes were worth including, we'd have something heard something about it by now, by now, but we haven't. The link between jaywalking and national credit is, to put it obvious, to put it kindly, dubious. At the moment, those municipal offenses have a tiny 5 yuan or roughly 75 cent fine. That's it. But if you report that and report it on the social criticism in the same story, you apply a relationship that isn't really there. It's speculative. It's irresponsible reporting. In short, it's not Black Mirror. You dweebs watch a new show. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, basically what you have social credit, it's it's really more about speculative behavior, those who owe massive debts, those who are tax evading, tax fraud, and then those who are committing pretty serious crimes, right? Train, transportation, planes. I mean, this is just standard fare, standard legal kind of um, law, like the restrictions that you would expect a society that's trying to develop, that's trying to protect its interests would have in any level of, of development, right? Because no matter what, if it's socialist or capitalist, their interest to be protected. And it's quite obvious that these set of fines are not there to protect the private property of, let's say, capital, because a lot of this is geared toward those who may be engaging in certain activities in and around capital that are harmful, right? Harmful to the state, harmful to the society, 
tax evading, uh, uh, right? Allow it not paying back debts, um, that sort of thing. And so uh, I think it's really important to um, to look at this, you know, and to understand it. Big news, though. Okay, so that's a social 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 credit system. That's a social credit system. Be sure to keep liking this stream, hit the subscribe button, notifications bell. And of course, you know, uh, please do support this work at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong for any monthly amount. I am about $75 per month, $76 per month away from my annual goal so I can stop asking. But of course, there is more options, Substack and others in the description of this video uh, if Patreon is not your bag. But in any event, I want you to know that you are going to get three straight days with me. Not often that I'm able to do such a thing. Um, and there will be a big break in between because I'm actually trying to get Richard Wolf on for the end of June. But there will be a big break in between. But tomorrow I'm going to have Scott Ritter on. So you want to be there. The, the uh, link where you can set the reminder, 4.30 p.m., Tomorrow, that's Friday, June 17th, Scott Ritter will be on this program to talk about Ukraine, to talk about an update on what is going on in Ukraine, and to get his analysis on what the end game for all of this is. So that should be interesting. I haven't covered Ukraine and Russia in quite a long time, but we're going to have Scott Ritter here. And then at the end of June, I haven't picked the date yet. I've got to email his, um, you know, uh, I've got to email back. I've got to communicate with him back. But yeah, I'll have Richard Wolf on likely at the end of June and hopefully get Mark or Kimberly back on as well with me. So a good number of uh, really good guests. I can't wait to have those conversations as well. Today was a good starting point before my week off. Um, and then tomorrow uh, will kind of culminate and then I'll be out for a week. So with that said, though, please do continue to hit that like button. Uh, subscribe to the channel, uh, hit that notifications bell, and of course support this work on Patreon. And so, I you know before we get to Scott Ritter tomorrow, right? I mean, there have been many updates around Ukraine that I will just sh share. You know, another one billion in military aid. The largest single amount is going to Ukraine. Military aid is going to Ukraine from the United States as of yesterday. Uh, we know that there is the heads of state of Italy, France, Germany. They are meeting with Zelensky today. It's be interesting to see what results out of that. There are talks of maybe, just maybe, a Minsk three. So we have all these moving pieces basically indicating what I think is the end, or at least uh, the end of Ukraine's capacity to continue fighting this war. We know that hundreds of soldiers are dying per day. The United States is really facilitating that by playing an, instig an instigation, an instigator role here. So it'll be really interesting to hear what Scott has to say about the situation. If there's any developments tomorrow, you know, or even later today, um, Right now, actually, Axios is reporting that there's a thousand casualties per day in the fighting in Donbass. So we're talking about massive casualties. And yeah, and the consequences of this war, of course, are massive. So 
The Ukraine situation is heating up. I, for one, am sick and tired of hearing about Ukraine getting all this money because I already know that the United States spends $800 billion on its military per year, more than that when you take into account the things that we don't hear about. I mean, Lee Camp really updates this great segment he's done on the audit, the Pentagon audit, which showed trillions, I think tens of trillions of missing dollars unaccounted for in Pentagon spending. So really, we're talking about trillions of dollars that the United States spends and Ukraine now is getting huge. Like, I mean, when you talk about 54 billion, I think, US dollars in military in the last, what, uh, four months, we're talking about Ukraine having a sizable portion of the military budget. I mean, this is a huge deal for the United States. And they're obvious, the US military state is obviously instigating, pushing, making this conflict uh, prolonged and, and increasing the time. And the number of deaths that occur because of this conflict. So uh, that is becoming more obvious. But I'm sick and tired of hearing about all this money going to Ukraine when I mean, people are struggling, right? What is it? 8.6% consumer prices have jumped in the United States. And uh, that varies. That's the average of all the consumer prices. But we know that some things are a lot more than that. And other things are maybe a little less. But but for sure, everything across the board is just incredibly expensive at this time. The inflation is ridiculous. It feels like, and everybody feels, everyone I speak to, even people that don't follow politics, think that an economic recession is coming. I believe that recession is probably already here. It's just not being talked about. And you hear things like food distribution centers going up in flames right around the country. That is a popular tactic of overproduction. So oftentimes what capitalists will do when they know a recession is coming, when, they, when a recession is here, when a crisis is here, is they'll start getting rid of what has been overproduced because there's, there, not only is there no capacity for sale, but there's also an understanding that there's going to be retraction in the economy. And I think in, in the capitalist economy, right, rising unemployment, uh, uh, and just a cutback in economic activity. So in investment, in production, all of that. And, and that seems to be likely where the United States is headed. If we're not already there, we're just not being told that. Uh, but sure enough, right, uh, what we are experiencing is, uh, I mean, Jing Jing said a really, <laughs> incredibly, the jealous neighbor that takes a shit in your pool because you built a pool well, the United States is really taking a shit all over its whatever pools it has left that it hasn't even built, right? It's taking shit all over people because after 2008, the United States' economy, the capitalist economy, never truly did recover, right? It hasn't been the size that the U.S. economy was in 2008 since then. The economy is still smaller. And no matter how many gains are made, it still remains smaller. And I, I can only imagine that the 2019-2020, because it started in 2019 and we weren't told, but the economic crisis of 2019-2020 is likely to also have these similar effects. In it. And this is just happening with every capitalist crash, is that the capitalist economy in the United States, this big economy, gets smaller. And that's why you see its share. It's not just that China is getting bigger. It's also that the United States capitalist economy is getting smaller. 
And when a capitalist economy gets smaller, that's a, that means both that there is a high level of concentration of capital, monopoly, leading to disinvestment, leading to uh, all sorts of different ways to manipulate the economy. And then finance, right? Finance becomes the engine of the economy and their whole game, everything about finance capital is about manipulation, speculation, and uh, taking rather than producing. So, I mean, that's what we have. It's a take economy in, in the United States. And it's likely to get worse as China develops. And that's why we're talking about, that's why I asked the question to the guests, why is China being targeted? Well, China isn't a take economy. China is a producing economy. China produces. China has a huge industrial base. China doesn't have a take mentality because not only is it not governed by finance capital, but it has socialist development goals. It has socialist development imperatives. And those socialist development imperatives I mean you have to act in a certain way to get them done. If the Belt and Road Initiative was truly a debt trap, for example, well, China would probably be screwed because there would be no incentive for African countries, for countries in Latin America, for countries in Asia, for countries anywhere to say, okay, yeah, I'll sign up for that. They could just keep going with the West, right? So, so really what the Western media hopes of us, really what the political class, the ruling class hopes of, is that we're stupid, is that we just don't think just hard enough to understand the illogic of their arguments, of their claims, their the fact-free basis of their claims, even just a cursory understanding of geopolitics would be enough to understand how ridiculous it is to call the Belt and Road Initiative or anything China does a debt trap when it has neither the military capacity, the military means, the political power. Uh, we know that China isn't going around the world threatening, bullying. If it were, we certainly would hear, uh, I think, a lot more specific stories than we do now in the Western media. There wouldn't have to be this mental gymnastics going on. And if it were, there would be no incentive. What incentive does anybody, any country have to just go with the other bully, right? <laughs> Why would you go with the other bully if you already have bullies taking everything, right? So like West African states, why would they do work with China if China just behaved like France, for example, which owns all their currencies, right? I think it's 14 West African nations whose currencies are still in the control of the French uh, colonial administration that no longer exists in the formal uh, uh, way, but still remains a neo-colonial force by control of currency. And of course, that means control of the economy. So, I mean, they just hope, I, I mean, really the Western media, the Western establishment, the imperialists, they just want to, they just want and hope that we are dumb enough to believe in their lies so that we don't challenge the fact that they're sending all this money to Ukraine, that they're starving uh, people all around the world through sanctions, that they're committing just backbreaking austerity on working people here, right? That, that's the hope is that we're dumb enough to not challenge any of that. And that we'll continue to look at China in this very abrasive, negative, and demonic way, because that only helps capital. It only serves capital to do that. Because China is the competitor, China is the quote unquote threat, China is the the alternative, right? China is really the future that the Soviet Union 
was seen as right when soviet union arose in 1917 the imperialists the capitalists they went absolutely bad shit they're like oh my god like there is a socialist country now soviets are workers councils what how can we deal with this and so that's where you had the cold war that's where you had the war on socialism for decades and decades and decades until and then the soviet union fell well now china is seen in a very similar light to how the soviet union was seen just in a different context conditions are different the empire is not hegemonic western capital is not on the ascendant it's not ascendant it is descendant so it's a different situation and they're hoping that we're stupid enough to keep on going along with them but with that said everybody i am going to go and i want you to make sure a few things before i go all right one uh, you know before you go like everything that you've seen here this video subscribe to the channel all of that good stuff make sure that you are if you're able to please do subscribe on patreon help sustain this work my goal i'm so close um uh, we're, we're entering the halfway point of the year a little bit over and uh, i'm about 75 dollars short so please do consider uh, subscribing on patreon and uh, there are other options as well in the description of this video if you prefer those. And then, of course, tomorrow, please join me, 4.30, okay? 4.30, Scott Ritter. I'm going to send you the link to that now, actually, in the chat. So you can set your reminders, all right? Because this is going to be a good conversation, great conversation about um, Ukraine. Get a little bit. You know, it's a learning thing for me, too, because I'm not able to keep up with all of the constant updates with Ukraine. And I, I definitely want to be briefed. So I'm excited to hear him. And I want to also tell you that if you are looking for other you know, ways to follow me outside of Twitter, I am on Telegram now. So I am not just primarily on Twitter, although I'm still using Twitter quite frequently because, you know, I don't build up 41,000 followers just to give it up, right? Um, especially when I haven't had a full transfer of all followers. That's a process. That's not something that happens overnight. But as always, I'm going to put my telegram in the chat. There's also my link tree in the description where you can find it as well. But if you're not already subscribed to me on telegram, uh, you can do so there because I'm trying to get a backup. I'm trying to move followers from different social media platforms there to consolidate it um, so that you know when <laughs> when the shoe drops which i predict it will at some point soon i'm hoping not i'm knocking on wood knocking on wood that that doesn't happen but um, twitter is collaborating with asbi and i cannot trust that i'll be on there forever so please do follow me there and that's about it guys i think right so we have a good stream tomorrow come through keep supporting this work subscribing to the channel liking this thing before you're out of here uh be sure to subscribe on patreon and help sustain this work and and that's it i hope you have a good rest of your friday to uh friday what am i saying i don't know what day it is anymore good rest of your thursday 
Uh, I uh, will see you tomorrow late afternoon for another interview. Um, looking forward to it. And yeah, take care, everyone. Peace out.